knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. A week ago on Saturday, I performed the funeral service for Carol and As I was preparing what I was going to be sharing for that, uh, I was just very encouraged. I was very blessed just being reminded of what the scriptures share with us about the comfort, the hope that as believers we can have uh, in death. And you know, the the world really doesn't associate comfort and death together. Uh, For the most part, they associate comfort and fear together. Fear of death is one of the greatest fears that that people in this world have. Uh, And you know, but as believers, because Jesus died for us, because He paid the price for our sin, because He rose from the dead to conquer sin and death, you know, we don't have to have the same fear of death as this world does. We actually can take comfort. Uh, and that's something I want to just uh, look at this morning. I want to encourage you with uh, what the Lord really just encouraged me with and blessed me with. And uh, I just felt like it was also fitting to do it uh, on this Sunday because, you know, the first end of the month, we, we take time just to remember Jesus' sacrifice, to remember what He's done for us through communion. And all that we have, all the comfort that we have in looking towards death, but more importantly, looking towards what's coming after death, eternal life uh, in heaven with God, all come because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross and what he did in rising from the dead. And so, you know, before we take time to remember that, you know, I just want to take some time to look at two main passages of Scripture this morning uh, that deal with the comfort that we can have in death. Uh, one of those passages is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the other in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so we're going to start with... Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, and to see what we can have uh, from the Word of God that encourages us with this topic of comfort in death. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says this, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. So Paul starts off saying, but I want you to be, I do not want you, sorry, to be ignorant, brethren. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of ignorance on a lot of topics of the Bible, you know, among people of the world, which you would expect. But sadly, even among Christians, you know, there's ignorance to very important truths in the Word of God. And this Greek word translated ignorant means just to, to not know, to, to not understand something. You know, it doesn't mean that you're dumb. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you're not in the know. Uh, you don't understand very important things. And Paul's saying, here's something very important as believers we need to be aware of. We need to be knowledgeable of. Don't be ignorant of this specific thing because it's so important as believers to understand. And the thing that he wants us to not be ignorant of 
is concerning those who have fallen asleep. And I love that term, and we'll look at that in a moment, but when Paul, when he says fallen asleep, he's referring to the death of fellow believers. So Paul is saying, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those Christians who have fallen asleep, who have died. Now, you know, when people hear the word death, there are so many different things that come to mind. The end, termination, ceasing to exist. I read a survey a couple years ago about the top things that people associate with death, and here are the top five things that people associate with death. Graveyards, funerals, heaven and hell, the grim reaper, and loss and sadness. You know, that's really what death is for so many people. It's a, it's a sad time, but uh, it's a sad time for many with no hope. A sad time that's so negative and often even very pessimistic because there's no comfort, there's no hope for them. And something important for us to understand is that when the Bible speaks about death, there's a very different understanding of what death is like for someone who believes in Jesus versus death for someone who doesn't put their trust in Jesus. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul is speaking about the death of a believer. And I want to just read a few verses in Scripture that speak of death and connection with people who have put their trust in Jesus Christ. And I want you to note the common description that we see in these different passages of Scripture. Acts 7.60 says, Then Stephen knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. The first martyr, the first person who was killed for their faith in Jesus is Stephen. He was stoned to death. And right before they kill him, he says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. But notice, and when he said this, he fell asleep. Matthew 27, 52 and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Acts 13.36 For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. 1 Corinthians 15.6 After he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And here in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, do not be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Notice the common description when speaking of believers in Jesus Christ when they die. Notice the term isn't death. It's a term that's fallen asleep. And I love this because ultimately it's emphasizing this idea of rest, of peace, of comfort, because that's when we think of when we think of falling asleep. You know, it's great. You know, I love after a long day's work to to get to fall asleep and that comfort and that rest that's associated with that. And so for Christians, you know, it's interesting that they began to call the places that they buried people cemeteries, which ultimately could be translated sleeping places because that's what it was. Hey, they've just gone down for a sleep. You know, because for the Christian, death is like lying down for a nap and then ultimately waking up in heaven. You know, it's moving to a better place that's full of rest, that's full of peace, that's full of comfort, that will last for eternity in heaven. Now, it's interesting, the Bible does not describe the death of people who haven't put their trust in Jesus as sleep. It refers to that as death, because there is no rest for them. There is no comfort for them. There is no peace for them. 
Actually, the world, you know, who fears death, if they knew what the Bible said would happen to them who have not put their trust in Jesus, their fear would actually increase. Because what the Bible shares is that, you know what, there's no comfort, there's no peace, there's no uh, nothing helpful because you're going to be separated for eternity from God in hell. So in the Bible, there's a big difference between the death of a believer and an unbeliever. And there should be a difference in the way that we view it. There should be a difference in the way that we perceive and look to death versus those who have not put their trust in Jesus. You know, when I lived in Europe, uh, I had the opportunity to go to Rome three different times. And Rome is full of just amazing ruins that you get to go and see. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of graves of people who lived, you know, many who were very significant in their time. And I thought interesting just looking, you know, just like today we write stuff on, you know, tombstones and they wrote stuff as well. And, you know, something I thought was kind of a, a great depiction of, you know, versus unbelieving and believing just the view of death. Here is one of the unbelieving Romans. This was on their tomb and it said this, I was not, I became, I am not. Knowledge of what is next, I have not. I think that describes how so many people feel. You know, well, I didn't exist, and then I did exist, and now I don't exist, and, and I don't really have a clue if, if there's anything beyond this. You know, and that's just kind of the sad place where so many people are. And because of it, there's no hope. There's no peace. There's no comfort in thinking about, you know, what's next? And that's why there's so much fear because it's like, well, when I die, is that it? Or even worse, if I die, you know, is there something that's going to come that's a judgment upon my life in the next? But you know what? If you go to the outskirts of Rome, they're the catacombs. And in the catacombs, you have, you know, just thousands and thousands and thousands of places where Christians, most of whom were martyred, were buried. And one of the most common things that you will see on the grave is two words, in peace. And it's taken from Psalm 4.8, which says, I will lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Notice the difference. You got those who, I was here, you know, I wasn't here, I was here, and then I'm gone, and I don't really know what's next, to there's peace. I know I lie down in peace. Why? Because the Lord will make me dwell in safety. I have comfort for what's next. I have hope and peace in what's coming. So when it comes to the death of an unbeliever, they don't have hope. But we should. We should have hope. We should have comfort. We should have knowledge of what is coming. And that's why Paul says, don't be ignorant of this. This It's so important to understand. If you miss this, It'll have a huge negative impact on your life here on this earth. Notice the reason for why Paul wants us not to be ignorant there at the end of verse 13. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You know, when someone close to us dies, sorrow is an inevitability. You know, we, we love them, we miss them, but there's going to be sorrow that we have. But the sorrow for an unbeliever who dies should be very different than the sorrow that we have for a believer who dies. And the main difference in our sorrow is that an unbeliever has no hope. They're sorrowing because there's no hope in what's happened to this person. There's no hope in what's next for this person. But as believers, we should be full of hope. 
We should be full of comfort that we're sorrowing because we miss them. We're sorrowing because they're gone, but we're not really sorrowing for them because we know where they're at. We know that they're in heaven. We know that they're in a much better place. You know, the Greek word translated hope means a confident expectation of coming good. And I mentioned this before that so often we use this word hope when really we should be using the word wish. Because you don't have any confident expectation of coming good with the word wish, but we often use the word hope in its place like, I hope I win the lottery. Well, yeah, well, the odds aren't really in your favor. There's no confident expectation that's ever going to happen. So really what you should be saying is, I wish I would. I know it's probably not going to happen, but, you know, it'd be great if it did type of mindset. But we use that term hope. But that's not what the biblical hope means. It's a confident expectation of something good that is coming. You know, those who don't have a belief in Jesus Christ, they have no hope. There's no confident expectation of good coming. Actually, if they knew the Bible, they would have a confident expectation of bad coming. And so, you know, they don't have the hope that you and I do who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. We should have a real expectation of good that's coming. You know, I think this is seen most clearly in a funeral service for an unbeliever. I don't know if you've experienced that. I've been to a few. There is just hopelessness throughout there. You know, and people are, are grasping at things. They, 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 they want to, you know, believe in something that, well, they're in a better place or, but they don't really have anything to base that on. They're just kind of like, well, they now live in our heart. You know, you hear these terms, but, but yet they, you, when you talk with them, you realize there's a hopelessness. You know, they're not confident of anything. They don't know where this person is. They don't know what's happened to them. And they don't have any hope in this. And it's just a real sad place to be when you're in this service of an unbeliever. And the people there who are unbelievers as well are just hopeless. But you know what? We have a lot of hope when it comes to death. We have an expectation of coming good, not only for ourselves, but also for fellow believers, those who are with us now and those who have already departed from us because they've already gone to be with the Lord. So as believers, our sorrow is not like those who have no hope. It's connected with hope. Our sorrow is like the sadness of seeing someone off on a long trip. We're sad because, hey, we're not going to see you for a while. Uh, we're going to miss you, but, but the reality is we'll be reunited. You know, when Jenny and I, you know, first got engaged, you know, I proposed to her, it was in Alabama. Uh, I was doing, you know, ministry in Scotland. And so I had to leave and go back to Scotland. She stayed in Alabama. She took me to the airport, you know, and there was sorrow there. It's like, okay, we're going to be gone from each other for a couple months. You know, we want to be with one another. You know, we don't like the departure that's about to happen, but there was also hope I'm coming back. We're going to get married and then we don't have to ever be separate from each other again. You know, and in the same way, that's kind of how our, our focus should be when it comes to our loved ones. Yeah, we're sad because they're not with us anymore. There's this, you know, departure. There's a separation, but it's only for the time that we have left here on this earth. And then after that, we're going to be reunited. You know, we're going to be with them again. You know, it's not a final goodbye. It's just, hey, I'll see you soon when I come to be with you in heaven as well. So it's a temporary thing until we're reunited. And guess what? Once we're reunited, that's a permanent thing. It's forever. It's for eternity. We won't be separate from them ever again. And so there's a sorrow, but it's one that's really just for us, just for the fact that we miss them, just for the fact that we want to be with them. It's not for them because they're 
in such a better place than we. In verse 14, Paul gives us a reason why we can be confident in that hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. You know, this is something that we, we focus on Jesus' death, we focus on His resurrection, you know, we even remember it, take communion, we look at what that did to pay for our sin, and that's such a vital thing to understand about His death, about His resurrection, but that's not the only thing that it accomplished. It accomplished so much more as well, and here is one of those things that we need to understand of what it accomplished for us. It didn't just pay for our sin, it also gives us confidence that this life isn't it. That when we die, we can, as Jesus did, overcome death. That we will go and be with Him for eternity in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. You know, this is such an encouraging verse. It's just making very clear. You and I can be confident if we placed our trust in Jesus Christ that to be absent from this body, speaking of when we die, immediately we'll be present with God in heaven. And you know what? While we're still present here on this earth, this is a comfort for those who have passed before us. That we know, hey, you know what? They died, but they're with the Lord right now. They're in His presence right now. And there's a confidence that God's Word wants us to have in that truth. And we should take confidence in that. We should take comfort in that. That that loved one, we know where they are. If they place their trust in Jesus, we know that they're with Him in heaven. Where the Bible says there's no more tears, there's no more sadness, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering. They're in the best place they've ever been doing the best they've ever done. You know what? We're going to see Him again. And we're going to be in the best place as well that we've ever been. We're going to be doing the best we've ever done, and we're going to be able to do it together in heaven. So don't fear death. Don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Take comfort. Take comfort in what the Word of God tells us. And the reason we can be confident in that is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. His death and His resurrection, which leads to the second main passage of Scripture that I want us to look at this morning, which kind of brings home this truth of why we can be confident in what we're looking at here. 1 Corinthians 15, 20-23. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one to his own order Christ the first fruits, afterwards those who are in our Christ at his coming. So Paul starts off by saying, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Once again, we see this term fallen asleep, speaking of the death of those who believe in Jesus. But he says, They have become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Now, to understand what Paul is speaking of here, we need to understand what he means when he says, first fruits, because this was something very familiar to those he was writing to, and maybe not so familiar to us. He's referring to the Jewish feast of first fruits. And so he's using that, something that would be very familiar to them, something that they would be very, very aware of. Oh, the feast of first fruits. Yeah, uh, those who have died before us, or Jesus who died, he is the first fruits. 
Well, during this feast of first fruits, you were required to take one sheaf or, or a bundle of grain, and that ultimately represented and also anticipated the rest of the harvest. And you would take that bundle and, and you would give it to the priest, and the priest would present that on your behalf to the Lord. And as that bundle was presented before the Lord, that assured you that God not only blessed that bundle, but that He was going to bless the whole harvest that came as well. And so the first fruit was the first grain that was blessed by God, but the important thing is that assured you that the rest of the harvest would be blessed as well. Another interesting thing about the Feast of First Fruits is the day that the Jews observed the Feast of First Fruits is the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, and so you have another interesting connection with that. And so what Paul is saying here is that just like the first fruit offering assured that the rest of the harvest would be blessed, Jesus' resurrection assures us that we too will rise from the dead. That's where the assurance comes from. That's where the confidence comes from. I mean, if Jesus stood and told us, hey, I have the power to rise you from the dead, and he didn't have the power to rise himself, you know, why would we believe it? Well, if you can't raise yourself, how could you raise me? If you can't do it yourself, why could you do it for me? You know, that's why the resurrection, beyond all other things that took place, is the greatest evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be, God, and has the power to accomplish what he tells us he can accomplish. He can pay for our sin, but he also has the power over death because he rose from it, he conquered it, and he then as well can bless us with taking us from that state of death and giving us life eternally with Him in heaven. You know, this is an important truth that the Bible declares many different times because it recognizes we need to hear it many times. We need to grasp it. We need to hold on to it. Be encouraged by it and comforted by it. Romans chapter 6, verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Romans 8, 11, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. 2 Corinthians 4, 14, Knowing that He who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and pre will present us with you. All three of these verses are telling us the fact that the Father raised Christ shows that we can be confident, that we can have assurance that when we die, God has the power to raise us up, has the power to take us just like He did, giving Jesus a new glorified body, bringing Him to heaven. He can do the exact same thing for you and I who put our trust in Jesus. So Paul uses this illustration of Jesus' resurrection being the first fruit of our resurrection just to help us know we can be confident. You know, we hear these things and we say, well, it sounds nice. You know, the message of heaven, the message of eternal life, the message of forgiveness of sins, you know, all those things sound great. But, you know, there's so many skeptics who will say, well, yeah, well, how can I know that that's true? How can I be confident that that's something that actually could happen for me? And this is where it comes back to. It comes back to the person of Jesus Christ, and it comes back to what he did and proved in what he did by dying on a cross and then three days later rising from the dead. That proof should give you and I confidence He is who He claimed to be God and He has the power to do what He told us He would do if we put our trust in Him and that is save us from our sin and rise us from the dead to be with Him forever in heaven. Now the fact that 
one man being risen from the dead can have this impact on all of humanity. For some people, that's kind of, wow, I don't see how that's possible. Well, you know what? Paul goes on to say, one man had an impact on all humanity in a negative way. And so it shouldn't be surprising that one man could have an impact on all humanity in a positive way. Notice what Paul goes on to say in verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. When Paul says, for since by man came death, he's referring to Adam, the first man who committed the sin that ultimately spread to all people. So because of Adam, we're all born sinners. He's the one who committed that sin that spread to all humanity. He's saying, hey, in one man came sin, and the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So because of that sin, it brought death as a consequence. Well, through one man, Jesus Christ, who was sinless, never committed sin, and rose from the dead, his resurrection now gives the ability for all who believe in him to conquer death and be raised as well. Romans 5.12 makes that very clear by saying this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. So Adam, he sinned, death came to all of us, and Paul goes on in verse 21, By man also came the resurrection for the dead, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. And this is the wonderful hope that we have of what Jesus has done has an impact on all those who will place their trust in who He is and what He's done for us. Verse 23, But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterwards those who are Christ at His coming. So there's an order to this, just like with the whole Feast of first fruits, you bring that bundle, that's the first thing you do, and the blessing then comes to the rest of the harvest. Jesus, He's the first. He's the first fruit. He's the first one to, to rise from the dead. And now, because of that, we can also have that benefit because of what He's done for us. Charles Spurgeon said this about Jesus being the first fruit. Men admire the man who is first to discover a new country. Oh, then... Sing it in songs, sound it with voice of trumpet to the ends of the earth. Christ is the first who returned from the jaws of death to tell of immortality and light. The fact that Jesus died for us, rose from the dead, assures us of our resurrection, it should cause us to do more than just be grateful. We should sing about it. We should tell others about it. We should speak of it. It's such a a profound event that has such a, a huge impact in our life. We shouldn't be quiet about it. Paul wants us to know we can be confident that when we die, we're going to be raised like Jesus was. We're going to get new bodies, not like these corrupt ones that get sick and that fall apart and that ultimately die. We're going to have ones that are no longer going to be sick, no longer going to have the the limitations that these bodies do, ones that will live for eternity. And this is why we don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Because we have confidence of where we're going, We have confidence of where others who have put their trust in Jesus are going. We have confidence that where they're going is so much better. I mean, 
we shouldn't actually fear death. We should look forward to it. It's like, man, I'm going to leave this life with all its pain, with all its problems, with all its issues. I'm going to leave this body with all its struggles. And I'm going to get to go be in heaven in a place where there's no sadness, where there's no tears, where there's no pain, where there's no suffering. I'm going to get a body that, that's no longer going to have all these aches. I'm no longer going to have all these problems. I mean, this should be something that I just can't wait. You know, let's get this going. Let's get to heaven. You know, we shouldn't, as believers, fear it at all. We should be looking forward to it. We should have comfort in it. You know, the only thing that we're saddened by is the fact that someone gets there before us and we miss them. That we have another 10, 15, 20, however many years left without them. And that's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. But remember, hey, they're doing great. And soon enough, we're going to join them. And we're going to be doing great with them. But you know what? We live in a world that fears death. A world that has no hope. A world that has no comfort when it comes to this. And they need to hear the good news. The good news of what Jesus Christ has done to conquer death. The good news of what Jesus Christ has done to pay for their sin. The good news that there is hope that they can escape the consequence of their sin. That they can escape death and have resurrection to newness of life in heaven. That they need to hear the good news. And guess what? They're not going to hear it if we don't share it with them. You know, we're the ones who have it. We're the ones that God has sent into the world to go into all the world, preach the gospel, preach the good news, proclaim this to those who don't know it. Let them know the hope that's there. Let them know that there doesn't need to be fear of what's coming if you put your trust in who Jesus is, that He's God. You put your trust in what He's done by dying on the cross for our sins and rising from the dead to conquer sin and death, that we can be forgiven when we put our trust in Him, that we can be confident in what our eternity is going to be, and this world needs to hear that. So this morning as we take time to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross, you know, I think it's always important just to, to think about and, and to confess our sin and to remember what He's done to forgive us of our sin. But I also want us to do something more this morning. I want us to think to the future. I want us to think not only of, of the comfort of, of what Jesus has done to, to forgive us and save us from, from what we are and what we were, but, but let's look to the future of, man, look what's coming. As we look back to the cross, recognize that is what made possible eternity in heaven. And so as we look forward to where we're headed, as we look forward to our future in eternity, let's remember that it's only possible because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It's only possible because He was willing to give His life for you and for me. It's only possible because He had the power to overcome death and rise from the dead. And now you and I have the blessed hope and comfort of heaven. And so as we remember Jesus, I just want to take time to also remember what He's done and how it's impacted our eternity. And hopefully we can worship Him for this. We can thank Him for this. Can I have the worship team come on up?